Man, I can't think of a better place to be uh, to kick off the new year than right here. And so we are so glad that you're here, whether you're a first-time guest, regular timber member of this church. We are thrilled that you are here. And so I'm going to ask you, we're going to get right into it this morning. I want to ask you to turn to Psalm 23. Even if you know it by heart, I want you to turn to Psalm 23. And, and I say that because many of us could probably recite Psalm 23. If, uh, if you could do that, I'm not going to ask you to do it, all right? But if you could do that, and you're not raising your hand in a prideful way, but if you're like, man, I already have, I, I have Psalm 23 memorized, uh, you could ask me out in the lobby, and I think I could pretty much get at least 80% of it right. Raise your hand. I'm curious. How many people? So we got, we got several people who have Psalm 23 memorized. I would venture to guess, and I think this would be a pretty good guess, a pretty good um, thing to to really, uh, wouldn't be, I should say, better way to say it is it wouldn't be much of a risk that Psalm 23, probably next to only John 3.16, can maybe throw Philippians 4.13 in there, but Psalm 23 probably is the most well-known passage of Scripture next to John 3.16 or right there. I mean, we find Psalm 23 on the walls of hospitals, we find it on tombstones, we find it on screensavers, I mean, you find it everywhere, right? Psalm 23 is just, it's a well-known passage of Scripture, and regardless of how you view it. Some people, and I hope this is many of us in here, but, but I know there might be some in here who would not see this, and if this is you, we're glad that you're here, but most of us, I hope, would say that Psalm 23 is the Word of God. But at the same time, there's many others that would not see it as the word of God. They would see it as some great poetry. But here's what I think when I think about Psalm 23 is regardless of how you see it, if you see it as the word of God or or you just see it as some really great poetic literature, probably many of us would say, if we're honest, that we've struggled to really experience the reality of Psalm 23 in our lives. See, the very first verse of Psalm 23, and we're going to unpack that today, but the very first verse of this psalm says this, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Doesn't that describe the life we all desire? To live a life in which we lack for nothing. Who doesn't want that life? I've never met anyone who doesn't want that life. I don't want to miss out on that life. You don't want to miss out on that life. There's not a person on this earth right now that would say they want to miss out on the opportunity to lack for nothing. But what really freaks us out is the possibility or even the experience that we have or that we do or that we will. And that possibility, that reality that we may have even experienced causes us to be paralyzed by fear, causes us to be paralyzed by anxiety, causes us to be all knotted up inside by angst, But what I want us to understand in this series is that Psalm 23 is instruction from the Lord on how we 
can be unafraid. How we can live in the security of what is found in these verses. And the goal of this series, the aim of this series, and I believe really what the Lord desires for you and for me is that I would really see, I mean really see, in a way that I may have never seen before, or that I would really believe, I mean really believe, and really experience the promises that are found in this psalm in my life. We need to know this morning that that's the Lord's desire for you, that's the Lord's desire for me, that's the aim of this series is that we would know, believe, experience, live in a greater way than we ever have before to see these verses manifest the promises of our good shepherd. You know, this psalm, as many other psalms, are written by David. He was the greatest king of all of Israel. Many of us know that, but Psalm 23 was written by this man, David. And if we know anything about David, we know that he was a man that was not free from trouble. He experienced a lot of different heartaches, a lot of different circumstances. Let me just give you some. David was shunned by his family. Do you remember? Like he, he brothers didn't like him too much that he was anointed king and that he showed up to battle when Goliath was mocking the people of the armies of Israel, if you remember that in 1 Samuel. He was shunned by his family. He was envied and hated by King Saul. King Saul was jealous of David because he knew that David was anointed to the next king. And so he, he faced that envy. He faced that hatred, that jealousy. His enemies were breathing down his neck. He had to run for many years, hiding in caves because Saul was looking out to kill him. But all the while, in the midst of all of that, as we have chronicled the events of David's life, he always had one thing constant, and it was his intimate relationship with the Lord. That was the constant in his life. The, the boy that faced Goliath, the same boy who faced so many different obstacles, but what he came to understand, and I believe motivated him to pen Psalm 23 under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is what he experienced it. He believed it, he saw it, he experienced it in his life. That his relationship with the Lord could provide for him a life that lacked Nothing. And so what I want to encourage us is when you walked in the doors this morning, you probably got one of these cards that along with, with uh, that handout to take notes. And, and you see there Psalm 23 is written there. And what we're going to do over these next six weeks, we're going to take each verse for a week. So this morning we're going to, talk, we're going to teach on Psalm 23.1 and we're going to take a verse each week. And what I encourage you to do is by the end of this series that when I ask how many of you have Psalm 23 memorized, that it's not just a few hands peppered across the audience, but it's everybody saying, I've memorized that. Because here's the thing that I've found, and I find it true in my own life, that memorization of Scripture is a lost art. Why? Because now i got these things. And if I need a verse, I'm like, what's that verse again? 
I remember one word, boom, let me pull up a Bible app and let me search for it and boom, I got it, which is amazing, right? But let me tell you something, there's something about when I have God's word readily available in my mind and I can say it over and over again and allow it to speak to my soul, it's like putting bullets in my spiritual gun. I don't have to go out and search for them, they're right there. And so we're going to do that this week because I believe when we look at this psalm and we're going to look at the first verse today, as I mentioned already, that the Lord desires us to live a life that is unafraid. And that doesn't mean that we'll never be faced and tempted to fear, but we're not going to be gripped by it. We're going to be unafraid because we're living in the security that is found in our good shepherd that's described in Psalm 23. So hopefully you're there by now. Let's read all of Psalm 23 I'll read it out loud, you follow along with me, and then we're going to deal with verse 1 today. It says this, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'm just gonna pray and I'm gonna ask you as I pray out loud to take whatever it is that you came in here with today, whatever it is that you brought into 2019 that you've been holding on in 2018, and that you would allow the good shepherd to speak to whatever that is in your life. Lord, we are here today for one purpose, and that is to worship you. And part of worshiping you It's not just worshiping you with song, though we're so thankful for that, but it's worshiping you by opening up your word and saying, Lord, when your word is open, your mouth is open, and Lord, would you speak to me today? Would you help me to really see, really believe, really experience in a new way what we will find in this precious passage of scripture that many of us know so well and some of us may not? Lord, I pray for every person in this room that their hearts would be ready for what you have for them. I pray for every person who's listening to this online, every person that will watch this on a screen, that their hearts would be ready for what you have for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's the title of the message this morning if you're taking notes, and I always encourage you to do so. The title is this, What Every Heart Longs For. Every heart longs for Psalm 23.1. Every heart. We already mentioned that already. And so here's the idea that I want us to grasp today. And really, it's the idea that really could summarize the entire psalm. Because verse 1 is really the statement. And then every other verse is really validating what David says in verse 1. But here's the statement that I want you to get. That my heart, your heart is satisfied. When, keyword, the Lord is my shepherd. That that is where the satisfaction of my heart is experienced. When the Lord is my shepherd. See, there were, 
Here's another reality. We're all following someone or something to be our shepherd. There's not anybody in this room that is not following someone or something. You can think you're a maverick. You can think that you're blazing your own trail. But I promise you, every one of us in here are following someone or something or some idea to be our shepherd. And so if that's the reality, and it is, then we really need to ask ourselves this question And really, it's a question we need to ask ourselves every week that we unpack these six verses. But it's a question I want to pose to you right from the beginning, is I want to ask you, what would you put in this blank? Blank is my shepherd I shall not want. What's in that blank? See, we know what should be. We we just read it. But what is really in that blank? What are we really looking to? What are we looking to? Who are we looking to to provide satisfaction for our heart? We need to ask ourselves that because verse one is going to speak to that question. See, you and I experience the reality of our hearts being satisfied when we are committed to two things. Here's the first one, number one, seeing the shepherd for who he truly is. I mean, that's, that's David's point here. He's telling us who our shepherd needs to be. He's telling us who our shepherd is. And so if we're gonna experience satisfaction of heart, of soul, then we need to see the shepherd for who he truly is. And I love how David starts off this psalm directed by the Holy Spirit to say, here is our shepherd, he is the Lord. And so if we're going to see the shepherd for who he is, then we need to unpack the significance of each one of those words in that statement. Isn't it awesome that every word is inspired by God? That God doesn't waste words? I can oftentimes wane on and on and on. And you can too, but God never wastes a word. And this verse is just evidence of that because I want us to unpack each of these words so that we can see the shepherd for who he truly is. So what's the first word we want to unpack? It's that word, Lord. And here's a great question. How many of you in your Bibles, Lord is all capitalized, raise your hand. Every hand ought to be up. If it's not, go get another Bible. Because the one you got stinks. It's not the Bible. Every translation Lord ought to be capitalized. Here we're reading out the ESV, but I don't care what translation it is. The Lord means this. It's the name of God that is translated in the Hebrew as this, Yahweh. Get this. This is going to impress you. It's also called this, the Tetragrammaton. So you don't need to know anything about what that means, but if I say to you, this name of God is the Tetragrammaton, in your mind you're like, I don't know what that is, but that sounds really important, right? That like is like, whoa, let's stop the brakes, let's pause here, because this has some significance in it, Yahweh. Here's what this word, this name, better yet, of God conveys. It conveys his nature, It's the personal 
name of God. That anywhere where you read in Scripture and you find capital L-O-R-D, L-O-R-D, God is saying, I'm putting my stamp on it. You can take this to the bank. Describes his nature. It's the personal name of God. It's the most frequent designation of God in the Scriptures. It's mentioned 5,321 times. This word has significance. Many of you might know this story. In Exodus 3, we find the story of Moses, and Moses is in the wilderness, and he's been keeping sheep for 40 years, and he's fled Egypt 40 years before keeping these sheep, or where we find Moses in Exodus 3, because he, he killed a servant of the Egyptians, so he's run for his life. He's been keeping sheep for 40 years, and God appears to him in a burning bush. And many of us know this story, that God is calling Moses to lead his people out of Egyptian slavery. And so Moses is not very confident in himself and his giftings. And so when the Lord asks Moses to do this, Moses doubts God. And God refers to himself as this, Moses, here's why you know that I can do this through you. I am that I am. Or I am, better translation, who I am. And it's a derivative of this tetragrammaton Yahweh, capital L-O-R-D. Like, pay attention, this is who I am. I'm dropping the mic. I am Lord. And this name conveys a few different things. And I want to take time to unpack this because, listen to me, if we don't understand and see the Lord for who he truly is, we will lose the significance of finding our heart satisfaction in him. See, this name, Lord, conveys his self-existence and his eternal being. In other words, that our Lord is one that does not depend on anyone else or anything else for his existence. There's so many things in this world that bring awe to us, right? I mean, if you ever looked at a telescope or you ever, ever looked into the sky or ever opened up a book or watched a documentary on Netflix about anything about our universe, you would be blown away by the pictures, right, and the galaxies that exist. And when we see those things and we hear about those things, we stand in awe like, man, that's so amazing. I feel so small. And as I was thinking about the galaxies, I, I did some research and found this out, that there are approximately 10 billion galaxies known so far. Billion, not million, billion that are known so far. We live in one of those, the Milky Way. So there's 10 billion galaxies that they know exist right now. And that probably could have changed since what I read. 10 billion galaxies that are known. Now, here's what's interesting. There's 100 billion stars per galaxy. So in our galaxy, approximately 100 billion stars, our sun, which provides life for us, is one of the smallest stars in our galaxy. But 100 billion stars in a galaxy, 10 billion galaxies known. So if we do the math on how many stars that would be, it would be this, one billion trillion stars approximately. All I know is, is that's a lot of zeros. And we hear that. 
And we're like, blown away. Think about when you go to a zoo. I like zoos. Or you go to different things and you see these animals that just are like so strong and they bring fear in your, in your mind. Like, man, if I was in that cage, what would I do? And, and we, we see these animals, we see God's creation, and we're in awe of the strength of these animals and these creatures, or we're even humbled by them. I mean, just think, we have so many people pregnant in our church right now. And you remember when you, some of you, this is your first baby, and I remember when, when Lori was pregnant with our first child, you remember you get those books, and it's like a thousand and one things to expect before, when you're pregnant, Right? And, and, and you read those things, you're like, man, now our baby's the size of a pea, and then it's the size of a grape, and then it's the size of an orange, and you're just humbled. You're blown away on how life can be formed inside of a mother's womb. But here's the reality. Whatever it is that we see or have seen or have read about that brings awe to us and causes us to be spellbound, every single one of those things was created. And the only person that can claim that they never were created, that they always existed, is Yahweh. That's the significance of that phrase, I am that I am. I've always existed. And as much as you're in awe by all the things that you see, every one of those things at some time, at some place, was created. But our God was not. Our shepherd was not. It conveys his self-existence and his eternal being, but it also, this name Yahweh, conveys his self-sufficiency. That he depends on nothing outside of himself to accomplish what he desires and what he has ordained. Listen to me, you and me, when I'm cold, I need a coat. When I'm hungry, I need to eat. I need to go somewhere. Someone needs to make something. I need to make something. Peanut butter and jelly would be all I could make, but nevertheless, I need to make something. When I'm sick, I need a doctor. But our God needs nothing. He needs nothing. And whether I give him praise or not does not affect who he is. He's self-existent. He has all he requires in and of himself. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But here's the third thing the name of God conveys, this name Yahweh. Not just his self-existence and his self-sufficiency and his eternality, but it also conveys his presence with his people. See, that's what brought David such peace as he writes Psalm 23. The Lord, Yahweh, is my shepherd. Moses, here's what's going to give you peace to go and to be bold in front of the most mightiest nation of Egypt to tell, Mo, to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. I'm going to be with you every step of the way. Listen to me. This Lord is the most consistent thing in your life. It's the most consistent thing in your life. It's the most dependable person in your life. I love my wife, I love my kids, I love my friends, I love this church, but it's not the most dependable thing in my life. And your wife and your friends and your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your parents and your grandparents and your friends and, and 
Your work and all of those things, that's not the most dependable thing. When I understand the significance of this name, I have one response, that God is the most dependable thing in my life. There is nothing that I can say that I may be even following as my shepherd that can say what this name conveys. He's Yahweh. He's the Lord. And listen to me, your shepherd, the shepherd described in verse one, is not some cheap lowercase God. It's not. He is the only God. And if you're doubting to put your trust in him today, just look at his resume. See, we can all put together resumes, and some of us might have one-page resumes. Some of us might only have a sentence. Others of us might have 10-page resume. But I don't know about you, but when I look at this Bible, when I thumb through all these pages, you know what that tells me? This is God's resume. He's Yahweh. He's the Lord. And if my heart is going to find satisfaction, the satisfaction that is described in Psalm 23, then I need to see the shepherd for who he truly is. Hey, that's just in the first word, Lord. Then we come to is. And normally, under normal circumstances, even myself, I would look and I would just pass right over is. Like, what could be the possible significance of is? Think about it this way. Notice what David didn't say in this first verse. He didn't say this. David didn't say the Lord was my shepherd, but now he's not. The Lord isn't my shepherd now, but I think he will be in the future. No, no, no. He says the Lord is my shepherd right now in this very moment. It's a present tense relationship. I'm about to blow your, not name, or blow your minds right now, but the Lord is always in the present tense. He doesn't know what it's like to say yesterday. He doesn't know what it's like to say tomorrow. Here's what I'm so thankful for. The Lord never says, well, Johnny, I know you prayed about that, and I hope I'll get to that tomorrow. When I look at the word is and I understand the significance of that word Lord, what that tells me is the Lord always exists in now. That's not you. That's not me. But I'm not God. I'm not Yahweh. And here's what's so awesome about that. Because I don't know, but when you have needs, don't you think of them in the now? When I have struggles, don't I think of them in the now? When I have hurt, I think of it in the now. And what's so awesome is to know that my shepherd, my Yahweh, is. He is with me in the moment of that struggle, that hurt, that obstacle, that fear, that angst. Why? Because the Lord is. He is. And then we come to that word, my. Like, I want you to circle that. If you haven't circled anything already, I want you to circle that word, my, because it's one of the sweetest words in this psalm. See, in the ancient world, what you need to understand is a king during this time that David writes this was referred to as the shepherd of his people. That's what a king was often referred to, and, and it's no different for Israel. We see in, Isaiah, in 2 Samuel 5, too, that that it says this, you shall be shepherd of my people, referring to David, and you shall be prince over Israel. Then in Psalm 78, it says, 
that God chose David to shepherd Jacob, his people. So I think it's significant that as David is writing this and he's the shepherd of the nation of Israel, that even with that platform and even with that role and even with that responsibility, that David never allows that to go to his head, but he has a posture of humility to say, Lord, even though I have this platform, even though I have people at my bidding, even though I could call an army out to battle right now and I have such tremendous power, here's what I know, Lord, here's what gives me strength, here's what gives me security, here's what keeps me from being paralyzed by fear, is that I understand that even though I may be operating as a leader of other people, Lord, you are my, my ultimate shepherd. And there's many people in this room that have leadership responsibilities, whether it's in your home, whether it's in the workplace, whether it's in this church, and whatever it is, and you have people looking to you, but you are only as good as a leader if you understand that there is one greater than you that you must look to every step of the way. And he's your shepherd. And he's my shepherd. Aren't you so glad that, that when David pens these words that he doesn't say, the Lord is everyone's shepherd who puts their trust in him. That wouldn't be a wrong phrase. But see, David wants to make it personal. See, we need to understand this. We need to get this. This statement overshadows and applies to every passage of Scripture, not just Psalm 23. That the promises of God only have power in my life when I make them personal. I'm not saying that the promises of God don't have power. See, they can have power in your life. They can have power in someone else's life that's sitting next to you. But they have power in my life when I make them personal. Where I say, it's not that I just know about them, but I am going to believe them that they are applying to my life. Why? Because I'm going to understand. I'm going to see in a greater way. I'm going to live in a greater way. I'm going to believe in a greater way that I'm going I'm to see my shepherd for who he truly is. He is Yahweh. He is with me in the present circumstances of my life, and I have a personal relationship with him because of Jesus Christ. Then we come to that word shepherd. Here's a Bible quiz. You ready? Pretty easy question. Don't get nervous. What did David do before he was anointed king? Just say it out loud. He was a shepherd. I think it's interesting that David uses the analogy of the Lord as his shepherd. Why? Because David knows a lot about being a shepherd. Even before he was called the shepherd of Israel. He knew what it was like to be a shepherd. He knew this fundamental principle that the life and condition of any sheep depends on the character and capacity and competency of the shepherd. Loser shepherd, sheep are gonna struggle. Amazing shepherd, sheep are gonna thrive. Not too complicated, right? David understood that. And 
It's interesting that the Bible uses the analogy of the Lord as shepherd in other places as well. In Jeremiah 23, 4, God describes the role of a shepherd as one who feeds his flock in such a way that they will fear no more, nor be dismayed, nor shall they lack anything. In Ezekiel 34, God lists all that he expects a shepherd to do, to feed the flock, strengthen the weak, heal the sick, bind up the broken, bring back the strays, seek the lost. Listen to me, if you're here today and you put in that blank, blank is my shepherd, I shall not want, and you put anything else in there other than Jesus Christ, it's because of one or two reasons. You don't have a relationship with him or you've gotten caught up in being deceived that something else can provide what only the Lord can. And so I wanna speak first of all to the people that may be here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And what you need to understand is there is a good shepherd and his name is Jesus and he lived and he died and he rose again for your sins. And up to this point in your life, You've been trying to look for satisfaction in so many people and so many things, and you've been looking and hoping that if the good that I do outweighs the bad that I do, that somehow I can have a relationship with God and have a hope to be in heaven for all of eternity. And I'm here to tell you, the only way that that is possible is by seeing Jesus for who he is. He is your good shepherd. John 10, 11 says this about Jesus. Or better yet, Jesus is saying this about himself. He says, I am the good shepherd. See, Israel, I've been looking for this for a long time. And some of you have been looking for this for a long time. And Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. See, what makes the shepherd good and superior to all other shepherds that we may be tempted to follow is Jesus says, I'm the good, I'm the superior, I'm the ultimate shepherd. I am the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, why? Because I am willing to pay the ultimate sacrifice for you and for me, for my sheep. He says, I'm willing to put it all on the line. I'm willing to leave my kingdom in heaven to come in a lowly form, in the form of a baby, to experience what it's like to live on this earth, to experience temptation, and to ultimately live and die and be risen for your sins. Why? Because I'm the good shepherd. No one else can say that. Nothing that you put in that blank can say that other than Jesus. Jesus also says in Luke 15, just to describe his love and his care for you, He says in verses four through six, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he had lost one of them, does not leave the 90 and nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? Rhetorical question, why? Because no one would leave 99 sheep to go get one. You're not gonna risk your whole flock for one sheep. One sheep wanders away, sorry sheep, but not our good shepherd. What does it say in verse five? It says, and when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying that, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Listen to me, Jesus is your good shepherd. He's willing, as we sung about, to run after you, the one 
to, for you to understand how much he loves you, for him not to give up on you, for him to not allow your sin and your rebellion and your stubbornness to keep him from showing you that he's the good shepherd. And I wonder how many of you may be here today, and I believe if you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your good shepherd and your savior, he has you here today because he wants you to understand, I'm willing to leave the 99 and go after you the one. Or if you're here today and you've forgotten how good your shepherd is that has been your savior, that you need to be reminded today how much your savior loves you. He's Lord. He's Yahweh. He has a personal relationship with you. He exists in the is. And he's yours and he's mine. But here's the reality. If we're going to see the Lord as our shepherd, and you know what that requires? We have to see ourselves as sheep. And I've never seen this before, but I've never walked into CVS, Walgreens, Hallmark during Valentine's Day and saw anyone writing a card calling anyone, I love you like a sheep. Maybe there's a market for that. Why? Because here's what's true about sheep. Number one, guess what? They're dumb. I know we're not supposed to say that, call anything derogatory to anyone, especially in church, but the reality is is sheep are dumb. They're dumb. They're not intelligent. Proof. How many of you have ever gone to a circus or ever even gone to the fair just down the road and someone has a booth and is like, come see my sheep do tricks. It doesn't exist. Why? Because sheep are not intelligent creatures. Sheep are stubborn creatures. Here's the reality. We better embrace this as silly as it sounds. And I know we don't like to be self-deprecating, but here's the reality. I am a sheep. I am not more intelligent than my shepherd. And whenever I begin to think that I know better than God does, I am immediately robbing myself of experiencing what Psalm 23 wants me to realize for my life. I'm not the smartest person in the room, and neither are you. I need my shepherd. Why? Because I'm dumb. And so are you. Let's just, let's just live in that reality. Just look to the person next to you and say that. I am dumb. No, no, wait, I heard, I heard someone. I didn't say to say to the person, they are dumb. <laughs> I am dumb. I'm saying it to all of you. You got to say it to one person, I'm saying it to a room full of people. Sheep are dumb, but here's another thing. Sheep are defenseless. They can't defend themselves. Yeah, they got teeth, but they're not fangs. They don't have claws. They can't fly. They're defenseless. Here's another practical reason to validate that reality. No mascot for any sports team is called the sheep. You're not going to watch. If you're into sports, you're not going to watch. There's no team that exists that is called the sheep. No New York sheep. Chicago's sheep. San Francisco sheep, ooh. 
Why? Because sheep are defenseless. And I'm so defenseless in and of myself. I'm so defenseless to stand up to any of the enemy's temptation in my life without relying on the strength of my shepherd. You're so defenseless. But the Lord is my shepherd. See, sheep are dirty too. They're not like some animals that will clean themselves. Sheep are dirty. You don't give them a bath, they just continue to be dirty. And I'm dirty and you're dirty. My sin made me dirty. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And my shepherd can make me clean spiritually if I put my faith and trust in him as my savior. Praise God that even in my walk with the Lord after salvation, that even when I have a tendency as a sheep to wander away from the path of the shepherd, that in those times I can run back to the shepherd and I can confess my sin. And 1 John 1, 9 says he he forgives me of that sin and cleanses all my unrighteousness. Here's the second thing that we need to commit our hearts to in order. To experience the reality of Psalm 23. Here's the second thing and we'll be done. Believing the shepherd for what he alone can do. Not just seeing the shepherd for who he truly is. Lord, you are my shepherd. Nothing else goes in that blank. But Lord, I'm going to believe you for what you promise that you alone can do. I shall not want when the Lord is my shepherd. And isn't that phrase Just an audacious phrase. I mean, if we were really honest, there would be some of us in here who have a relationship with Jesus Christ who would say, I I know that's what it says, but I'm really struggling to believe it. Struggling to experience it. I've never experienced it. But here's the reality that if we feel that way today, it's not because the Lord isn't who he says he is. See, John 10, 10, John 10 is all about Jesus describing himself as the good shepherd. He says in John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy, but I have come to give life and to give it abundantly. And so I look at that verse and I'm like, Lord, if I'm not experiencing the satisfaction of my heart, the contentment of my soul, and it's found in you and my relationship with you, then the reason why I'm not experiencing that is because I've put in a thief I put a thief in that blank, whatever it is. I put a person to be what only you can be. I put a platform to be what only you can be. I put a approval of someone to be what only you can be. I put possessions in there to be what only you can be. And everything that would go in that blank that would substitute the Lord as our shepherd is a thief. And what do thieves do? They steal and they kill and destroy. And I wonder how many of us have our satisfaction stolen for us this morning. And it's not the Lord's fault. It's because we put our trust in someone other than him. And so we've been robbed of that contentment. We've been robbed of that hope. And it feels like it's been killed inside of us. Because somewhere along the line, we have looked to someone or something to fill in that blank. And even though, not speaking derogatory of whatever that is, it's been a thief. And that's why I say one of the most important questions we can ask ourselves is, what have I put 
and replace of the Lord in this verse that is causing me not to experience contentment. This verse isn't talking about that I get whatever I want. It's not talking about all the temporal things that I can experience in life. It's talking about a spiritual satisfaction of the, whole, of the soul that lasts so much longer than anything else. I mean, I struggle all the time. I, I look to things. I look to people. I look to things I can look forward to that are not bad things. They're all moral things. But when I put them in that blank to be for me what only the Lord is my shepherd can be, I am always going to come up short. And I got to stop putting my trust in the thieves and put them in the shepherd. How do we believe in the good shepherd to satisfy our want and do what only he can do? I'm telling you, we go back to the gospel. We go back to what Jesus says in John 10, 10. We go back to what Jesus says in Luke 15. We go back to what Jesus has done for us. Because listen to me, the gospel is so much more than Jesus just forgiving us of our sins. Though that's amazing. It's about the with usness that I get to experience on a daily basis with Yahweh because of Jesus Christ. That's what the fullness of the gospel is. That's where satisfaction is found. And so many of us are being paralyzed by fear right now. That's why I entitled this series, Unafraid. I'm no different than you. I've been studying for this passage for a few weeks, even before preaching it. Sometimes waking up in the middle of the night, being overwhelmed, whatever it is, having to quote to myself this Psalm. No different than you. Be fear of rejection, fear of failure, fear of being able to provide, fear of some of you maybe who's going to take care of me if I pass away? Is God going to take my life from me in the next couple weeks? I don't know what the fear is, but I want you to understand this morning that the reason why we can be unafraid and live in the security of what is found in Psalm 23 is because we have the Lord who is our shepherd who loves us. He saved you from your sins and he wants you to enjoy the with us-ness that that name the Lord conveys. First John 4.18 says this, there is no fear in love because perfect love, the love that is found in our shepherd, casts out fear. Listen to me, if we want this passage to be seen in a fresh way, believed in a fresh way, lived in a fresh way in our lives, then we have to see the Lord as our shepherd and we as his sheep and see that our heart satisfaction is found only in him. Jesus is the only person that can deliver on the promises that we will unpack in Psalm 23. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, I mentioned him a couple weeks ago. He's called the Prince of Preachers, preached in London in the 1800s, said this about this passage of scripture. He says, we have all things in abound. All things in abound. Not because I have a good store of money in the bank. Not because I have skill and wit with which to win my bread. But because the Lord is my shepherd. I want every head bowed and every eye closed this morning.
You know, as I mentioned, I've had a few weeks to lay myself bare before this psalm. Ask the Lord to show me where I've been substituting other things or other people to be for me what only the Lord is. I've been able to confess. I've been able to preach it to myself. I've been able to fall short and get back up again and step in line again and say, Lord, forgive me. And I'll tell you what, I can't think of a better psalm to walk through than to begin to begin 2019 than this psalm. Because for me, personally, Psalm 23.1 is my verse for this year. And whether you want to call it that or not, it needs to be yours as well. And so I want to invite us as this song is going to be played, I want to invite you to do something. We don't do this often, but I think it's, it's so good. It's such a way to solidify what we, God is calling us to do. Is I want to invite you when this song is sung just to come up to the front here and kneel down, whether that's you individually, whether that's you with a spouse, if you want to do it with your whole family, whatever it is, and that you're kneeling down and you're saying, Lord, you are going to be my shepherd. My satisfaction is going to be found in you. And for some of us, we may need to confess to the Lord and ask forgiveness for looking to someone or something else to be that. But let's, let's start off this year as a body of people to say, no, no, no. If there's something that's going to characterize this church, it's going to be that we have one shepherd that we look for satisfaction in. And so I want to encourage you to do that. If you didn't get one of these cards, they're up here at the front. You can grab one of those. May just want to pray this psalm as you're here, but I, I want us to have the opportunity to do business with God and to start off this year believing this reality.